Chapter twenty eight of History of the World War by Francis March and Richard Beamish. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Chapter twenty eight The Second Battle of Ypres. First to feel the effects of German terrorism through poison gas were the gallant Canadian troops on the afternoon of April twenty second, nineteen fifteen, at Ypres, Belgium. Gas had been used by the Germans previously to this but they were mere experimental clouds directed against Belgian troops. Before the battle, the English and Canadians held a line, from Brutzeinde to half a mile north of St. Julian, on the crest of the Grafenstaffel Ridge. The French prolonged the line to Steenstrata on the Ypres Canal. The Germans originally planned the attack for Tuesday, April 20th, but with satanic ingenuity the offensive was postponed until between four and five o'clock on the afternoon of thursday the twenty second during the morning the wind blew steadily from the north and the scientists attached to the german field headquarters predicted that the strong wind would continue at least twelve hours longer the canadian division held a line extending about five miles from the ypres rulers railway to the ypres poil road the division consisted of three infantry brigades in addition to the artillery brigades Upon this unsuspecting body of men the poisonous fumes were projected by means of pipes and force-pumps. The immediate consequences were that the asphyxiating gas of great intensity rendered immediately helpless thousands of men. The same gas attack that was projected upon the Canadians also fell with murderous effect upon the French. The consequences were that the French division on the left of the Canadians gave way, and the third brigade of the canadian division so far as the left was concerned was up in the air to use the phrase of its commanding officer it became necessary for brigadier-general turner commanding the third brigade to throw back his left flank southward to protect his rear this caused great confusion and the enemy advancing rapidly took a number of guns and many prisoners penetrating to the village of st julian two miles in the rear of the original french trenches the Canadians fought heroically, although greatly outnumbered, and pounded by artillery that inflicted tremendous losses. The Germans, as they came through the gas clouds, were protected by masks moistened with a solution containing bicarbonate of soda. The tactics of General Turner offset the numerical superiority of the enemy and prevented a disastrous rout. General Curry, commanding the 2nd Brigade of Canadians, repeated this successful maneuver when he flung his left flank southward and, presenting two fronts to the enemy, held his line of trenches from Thursday at five o'clock until Sunday afternoon. The reason the trenches were held no longer than Sunday afternoon was that they had been obliterated by heavy artillery fire. The Germans finally succeeded in capturing a line, the forward point of which was the village of St. Julian. Reinforcements under General Alderson had come up by this time, and the enemy's advance was suddenly checked. Enemy attacks upon the line running from Ypres to Passchendaele completely broke down under the withering fire of the reinforced and reformed artillery and infantry brigades. The record officer of the Canadians makes this comment of the detailed fighting. The story of the Second Battle of Ypres is the story of how the Canadian division, enormously outnumbered, for they had in front of them at least four divisions, supported by immensely heavy artillery, with a gap still existing, though reduced, in their lines, and with dispositions made hurriedly after the stimulus of critical danger, fought through the day and through the night, and then through another day and night, fought under their officers until, 
as happened to so many, those perished gloriously, and then fought from the impulsion of sheer valor because they came from fighting stock. The enemy, of course, was aware, whether fully or not may perhaps be doubted, of the advantage his breach in the line had given him, and immediately began to push a formidable series of attacks upon the whole of the newly formed Canadian salient. The attack was everywhere fierce, but developed with particular intensity at this moment upon the apex of the newly formed line, running in the direction of St. Julian. It has already been stated that some British guns were taken in a wood comparatively early in the evening of the 22nd. In the course of that night, and under the heaviest machine-gun fire, this wood was assaulted by the Canadian Scottish 16th Battalion of the 3rd Brigade and the 10th Battalion of the 2nd Brigade, which was intercepted for this purpose on its way to a reserve trench. The battalions were respectively commanded by Lieutenant Colonel Leckie and Lieutenant Colonel Boyle, and after a most fierce struggle in the light of a misty moon they took the position at the point of a bayonet. At midnight the 2nd Battalion, under Colonel Watson, and the Toronto Regiment, Queen's own 3rd Battalion, under Lieutenant Colonel Rennie, both of the 1st Brigade, brought up much-needed reinforcement, and though not actually engaged in the assault, were in reserve. All through the following days and nights these battalions shared the fortunes and misfortunes of the 3rd Brigade. An officer who took part in the attack describes how the men about him fell under the fire of the machine-guns, which, in his phrase, played upon them like a watering-pot. He added quite simply, I wrote my own life off. But the line never wavered. When one man fell, another took his place, and with a final shout the survivors of the two battalions flung themselves into the wood. The German garrison was completely demoralized, and the impetuous advance of the Canadians did not cease until they reached the far side of the wood and entrenched themselves there in the position so dearly gained. They had, however, the disappointment of finding that the guns had been blown up by the enemy, and later on in the same night a most formidable concentration of artillery fire, sweeping the wood as a tropical storm sweeps the leaves from a forest, made it impossible for them to hold the position for which they had sacrificed so much. The fighting continued without intermission all through the night, and, to those who observed the indications that the attack was being pushed with ever-growing strength, it hardly seemed possible that the Canadians, fighting in positions so difficult to defend, and so little the subject of deliberate choice, could maintain their resistance for any long period. At 6 a.m. on Friday it became apparent that the left was becoming more and more involved, and a powerful German attempt to outflank it developed rapidly. The consequences, if it had been broken or outflanked, need not be insisted upon. They were not merely local. It was there decided, formidable as the attempt undoubtedly was, to try and give relief by a counter-attack upon the first line of German trenches, now far, far advanced from those originally occupied by the French. This was carried out by the Ontario 1st and 4th Battalions of the 1st Brigade, under Brigadier General Mercer, acting in combination with a British brigade. It is safe to say that the youngest private in the rank, as he set his teeth for the advance, knew the task in front of him, and the youngest subaltern knew that all rested upon its success. It did not seem that any human being could live in the shower of shot and shell which began to play upon the advancing troops. They suffered terrible casualties. For a short time every other man seemed to fall, but the attack was pressed ever closer and closer. The 4th Canadian Battalion at one moment came under a particularly withering fire. For a moment, not more, it wavered. Its most gallant commanding officer, Lieutenant Colonel Burchell, 
carrying after an old fashion a light cane coolly and cheerfully rallied his men and at the very moment when his example had infected them fell dead at the head of his battalion with a hoarse cry of anger they sprang forward for indeed they loved him as if to avenge his death the astonishing attack which followed pushed home in the face of direct frontal fire made in broad daylight by battalions whose names should live forever in the memories of soldiers was carried to the front line of the german trenches after a hand-to-hand -hand struggle the last german who resisted was bayoneted and the trench was won the measure of this success may be taken when it is pointed out that this trench represented in the german advance the apex in the breach which the enemy had made in the original line of the allies and that it was two and a half miles south of that line this charge made by men who looked death indifferently in the face for no man who took part in it could think that he was likely to live saved and that was much the canadian left but it did more up to the point where the assailants conquered or died it secured and maintained during the most critical moment of all the integrity of the allied line for the trench was not only taken it was held thereafter against all comers and in the teeth of every conceivable projectile until the night of sunday the twenty fifth when all that remained of the war-broken but victorious battalion was relieved by fresh troops End of chapter 28